Hi, I'm Tony Denbuck, lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Now, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for a while now as a church, taking some breaks here and there, but now we've arrived at the 17th chapter of Luke, the Gospel. Something important for us to understand here is that the audience for Jesus shifts. From Luke 14 through 16, Jesus' main audience was the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Now Jesus turns to teach his disciples. And it's important to understand the intended audience when we're reading Scripture. So the section we've arrived at today, a challenging piece of teaching, is aimed at disciples of Jesus, those who have made a conscious choice to follow and obey. And I think it's good for us from time to time to ask ourselves whether or not we are following Jesus, or perhaps better, how closely are we following Jesus? With that being said, let's turn to our scripture for today. It's found in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this entire section is about one topic, the topic of forgiveness. It's a sensitive one because we live in a challenging world. Now, one thing we know for sure is that in our lifetime, we'll have all kinds of opportunities to work on this thing that we call forgiveness. So let's dive in. Again, verses 1 through 3 says this, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So, watch yourselves. See, the entire section speaks of three different types of sin, and here we see two of them. The first is personal sins, and it's wrapped up in the word stumble. In Greek, it's the word from which we derive the word scandal. You see, people don't just decide one day that they're going to walk down a road that will destroy their reputation and their relationships by doing something stupid. That's why the word stumble is used. It's like an obstacle that is placed to trip a person that ends up damaging them. Those obstacles and opportunities to stumble and fall are everywhere, aren't they? And that's why Jesus said that they're bound to come. We live in a fallen world. In my lifetime, I've watched as temptations that were once kept concealed and difficult to find 
are now broadcast on public television during prime time and available with one click on our phones. Temptation is everywhere. And you combine, combine the availability of temptation with our propensity to sin, and it's no wonder that we get ourselves in so much trouble. And there are so many different categories of sin, aren't there? See, some have created lists, like the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. We can probably each choose the category that would be the most difficult for us to avoid. But the point that Jesus was making is that we're all tempted to sin, to do something that falls short of God's best for us. But there's a second kind of sin that he brings up here, causing someone else to sin. For this, Jesus gave a warning to those who might be guilty of this. He used the word woe, W-O-E, an exclamation of grief. And then he expanded on that by saying it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. See, causing someone to sin is basically being the instigator. We know that each person is responsible for their own actions, for their own sin. But Jesus is warning us not to be the person that leads another person into sin. Our legal system still has a law on the books that can punish someone who contributes to the delinquency of a minor, someone whose influence leads a child to commit a crime. But here, it's likely not referring to just children, but to those considered to be vulnerable. In this context, he's likely referring to the previous chapter and the story of Lazarus, remember the poor man who was a beggar at the table of the rich. Now, the millstone to which Jesus was referring here was a wheel-shaped rock weighing hundreds of pounds. See, a millstone was used to crush and grind different kinds of grains and vegetables for consumption or use in baking. Now, there is some evidence that ancient cultures would execute criminals by tying a millstone to their neck and throwing them into the sea. Jesus is saying it would be better to die a horrible death than to cause these little ones to sin. It is so serious, he gives an extra warning. So watch yourselves. Be careful that your words and your actions don't cause someone else around you to sin. The Apostle Paul expounded on this in his letters to the various churches that he started. He wanted these new communities to understand that they weren't just faceless, impersonal crowds. They were a community that was to look out for one another. Now, how many of you watching with gray hair, looking back on your life, would remember that one friend from school who was always trying to lead you into trouble? In retrospect, we see that they weren't as good a friend as we once thought they were. Now, the third type of sin that Jesus spoke of here is the one that he spends the most time on, and that is sinning against someone else or interpersonal sin. In Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, let me first say this. As a category, we human beings have no authority to forgive sin. Only God can do that. That's not what this is talking about. This is speaking about forgiving others for what they have done to us. Now, I'm sure that all of us have been hurt by someone. Offenses will come. Many of you have likely been hurt by someone in the church. 
Some of you may be even now rehashing that in your mind. We have the offense part down pretty well. All of us have experienced that. What we are missing most often is what Jesus talked about next. He said that we are to rebuke or correct them. Well, that sounds awkward. (laughs) Yes, it is. Why then would Jesus give us such a command? Well, let's remember that first of all, this assumes an established relationship. He's not talking about having this conversation with a complete stranger, but your brother or sister in Christ. And this is important because relationships are important. I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you. Many people don't realize that they're being offensive when they say what they say to you. They don't know that they've hurt you. They're probably going about their day as if everything is great because in their minds, it is. So Jesus here puts the onus on the person who is offended, who is hurt, or who is wronged to take the first step. Now, why is that? Well, you're the one who's experiencing it. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. This goes against the grain of how we would normally operate, particularly in our day and age. Let me give you an example of how this scenario would often play out when you're dealing with one of your pastors, like me. Let's say that you are a regular attender, maybe our Stainer campus. That might mean different things to different people. For some, regular means every week. For others, regular means once every three to four weeks. For some, they go south on a regular basis and they may be out of town for a while. We usually have no way of knowing why someone may or may not be in attendance on any given Sunday. So, hypothetically, you get sick and you are sick enough that you are in the hospital. And your assumption is that someone from the church, usually one of the pastors, will know that. You're in the hospital and they'll call to check up on you or come and visit you. That is the assumption and the expectation. Now, when they don't, the assumption is that they don't care about you and you do not matter to them. And so you become hurt and feel as though you have been abandoned at a time when you are vulnerable. You don't say anything about it because you think it should be obvious that you would be upset and they should know why you're upset. And this could go on for weeks and you become more angry and your anger turns to bitterness. How could the church I've supported all this time reject me like this? But you've never picked up the phone or texted or emailed saying, Pastor, I could use a visit. And eventually you decide to leave the church to find someone who cares about you. Well, this kind of thing happens all the time, just so you know. I hear of people who never came back to the church after COVID, who feel like the church abandoned them and left them to fend for themselves. They had the same access to our ministries that everyone else did. They're online. They even watch our services online. But because they never got a call or never got a visit, they're carrying an offense and they're still not dealing with it. So do you see why Jesus said that the onus lies on the person who gets offended to take the first step? Sometimes it's as simple as picking up the phone and asking the question, Pastor, has anyone let you know that I've been sick? If the answer is no, then it should be fairly straightforward. Let's catch up and move on. If their answer is yes, you might say, Pastor, I'm hurt that you didn't come and see me when I was in the hospital. Now the burden is back on me as to what to do with the fact that I've hurt you, whether intentionally or not. And trust me, I would never hurt you on purpose. But because I want to be in a relationship with you, I'm going to apologize and I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. 
And that puts it back on you. Jesus says that you are to forgive. In fact, he goes beyond that. He says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. But I don't think they were being sincere. Well, that's not up to you to decide. God's the judge. But I can't keep being hurt like this. Then by all means, set boundaries, but you must forgive. He even laid out a ridiculous scenario of them hurting you the same way seven times in a day. If they repent seven times, he says, forgive them seven times. By the way, he wasn't putting a cap on it. He was saying to keep on forgiving. So why is forgiveness so important? Well, first, it's important for you. Dr. Frank Minerth writes that when we fail or refuse to forgive, we bottle up all kinds of potent negative emotions that will seep out of our lives in the form of irritability, nastiness, rejection, and resentment. Such emotions poison our relationships and destroy our ability to know and love God. And second, it's important to the church. We aspire to be a biblically functioning community. Anything that stands in the way of authentic relationships needs to be dealt with. And that's why Jesus spoke of this so forcefully in Matthew 18, to the point where he said that those who aren't willing to be reconciled should be brought before the church so the issue can be resolved. Jesus is telling us that relationships are that important. Hear me. If I ever offend you, please come to me so that we can resolve it. Third, it's important to God. And this should probably be number one, not number three. See, in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. All of us who have accepted Jesus are recipients of the grace of God, yet God in his mercy forgives. As 1 John 1, 9 and 10, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we can make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This tells us two important things. All of us are sinners and all of us will be forgiven if we ask. If God does that for us, how can we not do that for one another? Now, let me finish by talking about the act of forgiveness. It's easy when it's a small thing, but it's really tricky when it's a big thing. How can I be expected to forgive when I'm badly hurt? And I get this question all the time. First, let me acknowledge that there are some people watching right now or that I've met through the course of my ministry who've been deeply, deeply wounded by others. In discussing this, I never want to minimize your pain or pretend that this is easy. We see the difficulty expressed by the disciples. When told to forgive over and over again, their response to Jesus was a prayer. Increase our faith. In other words, like many of you, the disciples didn't know how to live this out. But rather than increasing their faith, Jesus let them know that even a little bit of faith applied to this is enough. He then shared a short parable with them using an everyday example from the day in which they were living of the role of a servant. Now, this doesn't translate well to us today in our culture, as all of us would look at slavery as abhorrent in all forms. Jesus was not endorsing slavery here. He was simply drawing a lesson from what all of them would have experienced around them. And the example he gives us is likely of someone who had sold himself into slavery in order to have a roof over their head and food to eat. This would happen often. 
Their life would have been dramatically better now than it was before, and they would likely have been grateful for what they had. It's a very simple story, but it touches on themes that many in our culture have a hard time accepting today. Things like obedience and duty, words that are not talked about much anymore. See, after working all day, that servant would still not expect the master of the house to wait on him and serve him dinner. Rather, he would prepare and serve the master his dinner, and then he would feed himself. That was his duty. He wouldn't expect to be thanked or rewarded for it. He already had his reward with room and board. That was his job. And Jesus' point is that a part of the responsibility of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is maintaining right relationships. And a large part of that is forgiveness. You will be hurt. That is a part of being human. What you do with that hurt will determine a lot of things. If you hold on to it, think about it and nurture it, it will grow and it will fester and it will make you miserable and it will make others miserable around you. God knows this. And so he tells you to forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. You can choose to forgive even if you don't feel like it. Now, Corrie ten Boom, a Christian lady who hid Jews from the Nazis during the Holocaust and for it was thrown into the death camps, she survived. She told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. She had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the incident, and so she couldn't sleep. Finally, Corey cried out to God for help in putting the problem to rest. And she says his help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor, to whom she says, I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. Up in the church tower, the pastor said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the bell ringer lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, slower and slower, until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be, she wrote. There were a few more midnight reverberations a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often, and at the last, stopped altogether. Forgiveness isn't easy, and it may take time to get over the hurt, but if we ever want to heal, if we ever want to move forward, we must let go of the rope and learn to forgive. Some would say that the person who hurt them doesn't deserve forgiveness. That may be true but neither did you. Aren't you glad that God treats us differently than we deserve? Romans 5 verse 8 reminds us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. He loved you when you didn't love him back. Forgive people, even when they don't deserve it, for your own sake. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we confess that the subject of forgiveness is a difficult one. We've all been hurt. There are times when we have wallowed in our hurt rather than focusing on dealing with it properly. Thank you for reminding us that you want us to live in good relationships, not just with you, but with one another. So help us to value one another enough to do the hard work of forgiveness. May we forgive each other as you have forgiven us. 
Thank you for the grace to do this, even when we don't feel like it. In Jesus' name, amen. So go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you.